Welcome to the realm of magic and mystery, classic horror and sci-fi. You are now entering the House of the Unusual podcast with your hosts, Eddie and Joe. Welcome all you cool ghouls and friendly fiends to the House of the Unusual podcast. I'm your host, Joe Pavlansky, and with me as always is the maestro of mail-order mysteries, Eddie Guevara. Today's returning guests are the, well, you guys know who they are. They've been here many times before. We got Chuck Caputo and Mike Mesmer. Right. Gentlemen, how's it going tonight? All right, All right. guys. Awesome. So, uh, you know what, Michael? We're going we're gonna to start off with you uh, tonight since it's been a little while since you've been on. So, so what's new? How's, how's everything been? Uh, doing great. I, uh, I actually have been on tour around the United States doing my Danger Magic and my Transnosis shows um, at major fairs uh, and did about during the months of August and July to August, August, September, I did 105 performances. And um, oh, wow. Yeah. So it, it was pretty cool and big audiences and getting ready now for the Halloween uh castle dark at castle park here in uh riverside california we opened this weekend and got a special shows for that uh it's a halloween haunt combined with you know entertainment so looking forward to that and over the summer i signed a um uh an agreement with a big publisher on the east coast to write a book on ghost hunting so a lot of exciting things happening oh awesome awesome sounds like you've uh you've been busy and everything's picked up so that's good to hear so, uh, Chuck, what's new over in uh, the Pennsylvania area? How's everything been with you? All right, pretty good. Yeah, this is my time of the year. I'm doing I love it. Of, yeah, doing a lot of spooky shows, doing a lot of Halloween shows, a lot of a lot of Halloween uh, performances. So I've been uh, bringing my haunted dolls and all my things that move and float. Having a great time, man. It's it's been fantastic. Awesome. Sounds good, Eddie. What's new over at House of the Unusual? You keeping the place clean and tidy? Well, man, I just got back from. Um couple of days ago from Walt Disney and it was very interesting because uh as you purchased the park right <laughs> not only purchased the park I, I was riding the haunted mansion like nobody I actually went on the thing six times I broke nice. up records <laughs> I went and it was so funny because I got this I got a big painting that was about 17 by or, or 14 by 17 something like that so I have it in this big bag so obviously whoever saw me going in and out saw me holding the painting you know and i went into the thing six times wow that's fantastic it was fun man i i <laughs> i, I love the ride uh pirates of the caribbean i did one time i'm not too fond of that fall the 20 30 foot drop <laughs> drops you into the water there because it kind of gets my stomach going now one thing that was funny though in epcot they have a a new ride i don't know if it's new it might have been there a couple of years but i don't remember you know, seeing it the last time, actually. Um, it's kind of like it has a simulated rocket ship and it's a simulation ride. It's a big building on one side. It shows you like, you know, it says new people that are going to be astronauts. And the other side is like going to Mars. But when you get in the Mars side, it actually has a thing where it slingshots around the moon and they tell you, keep your eyes open because if you don't, you're going to get dizzy. You're going to end well, you think I listen? I closed my eyes and the moon slingshot. Man, I had, I had vertical for the rest of the day. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it was horrible, man. <laughs> well, hey, guys, before we get into our conversation today, because we got a lot to talk about, let's take a quick second to mention uh, the friends of, of our uh, House of the Unusual and a little bit part of our community real quick, and then we'll dive into our conversation because we got a ton of stuff to talk about today. So first, if you guys are got nothing better to do, which there's always something to do, and I got something better for you, head over on YouTube and check out our brother Chuck Caputo and his magic. He's under Sherry Caputo, his wife, and it's spelled C-H-E-R-I. Just type it in the search, Sherry Caputo, and you'll see all Chuck's videos, man. They're, they're about anywhere from four to six, seven minutes, real short, and they are fantastic. So if you're in the mood for some horror magic, some regular magic, whatnot, Check him out, subscribe to his channel, and hit the like button on his videos. Also, while you're on YouTube, check out House of the Unusual and, you know, do the same. Give us a subscribe and a like, and we're always there to entertain you. Always add in new videos on each one. Also, if you are in the market for sea monkeys, which I, I got to tell you, everybody's in the market for sea monkeys. I mean, come on. 
head over to c-monkeys.com and tell our brother Todd Machen that we sent you over there. And he, uh, he might hook you up with something very special, but they got some amazing stuff on there. They got puzzles, mugs, uh, T-shirts, posters, all kinds of sea monkey goodness over there. So, you know, Christmas is right around the corner. So start stocking up and give your loved ones the gift of sea monkeys. I mean, what better present is there, right? Also, our buddy Dave Haversett, he's got an awesome website called 1878press.com, and that's 1878press.com. has a ton, ton of different books on uh, magic, hypnotism. So if you're in the market for any of that and you want to do some reading on it or some learning, head over to that site, and he will hook you up with something good. Also, stupidcomicsmagazine.com. This is your stop for... One of the best comics, in my opinion, that's come out in a long time. And it's a mixture of Mad Magazine, Cracked, and Farside all rolled into one. It's black and white, and it's absolutely hilarious. I believe they're up to issue number four, so there's five issues out total. They started with number zero. And on the fourth issue, we have a huge uh, advertisement in the back for House of the Unusual. So make sure you check that out. So that's stupidcomicsmagazine.com. Also, MyMovieMonsters.com, the new issue of Scary Monsters number 123 is out, the harrowing haunted Halloween issue with a fantastic glow-in-the-dark cover by Scott Jackson. He's always putting out some great stuff, so this issue is shipping now. It should be out at uh, retail stores, Barnes & Nobles. Um, If it ain't out yet, it's going to be out there soon, and there are some great articles in there and. Also, what's fantastic about this issue is that they give a shout-out to uh, all the contributors in there. So I'm in there. Uh, Mike Mesner, I see that you're in there, too. you got a nice little little write-up with your photo in there. Yeah, it's really cool. And you know what's cool about that black uh, or the uh, glow-in-the-dark cover? They did something really unique because it's not just glow-in-the-dark, but I, they had to do special artwork so that they would the things would actually appear when you're in the dark. So you don't see them when you're in the light, but when, when you're in the dark, the ghosts appear on the cover. It was kind of a unique thing. So the artist there had to redraw the cover literally a second time because when they went to the printer, uh, it wasn't working the way they wanted it to. So he had to make line drawings rather than the normal way of doing it of the ghosts that would appear on there. So it's really unique. And of course, it's the 30th anniversary of Scary Monsters. So a special, special magazine in many ways. Yeah, it, it's absolutely fantastic. I got my my issue the other day through the mail and um, I haven't had a chance to read through it yet. I, I've kind of perused through it, the articles, and I read the uh, the bio of the contributors and all that. And yeah. There's some fantastic people in there. So definitely, guys out there, if you haven't checked out Scary Monsters yet, this is the issue you know you might want to get started on so you could kind of learn you know, who the contributors are, who the uh, the publishers are, and everything. And it's a fantastic issue. I mean, it, it, every issue is, is great. So definitely check that out. And if you can't get out to a store, head over to MyMovieMonsters.com, and they have them for sale on there. And you could also get it bagged and boarded. Absolutely. So, and if you are like me and you're always looking for something to watch, you know, horror or sci-fi related, I would highly recommend the monsterchannel.com. It's a free online streaming site, 24-7, monster and sci-fi. Sometimes they throw in some serials in there, some, you know, old kung fu movies or westerns, but 98% of it's horror or sci-fi. It's absolutely fantastic. There's a little chat that goes on in there, too. Definitely something to check out, uh, you know, if you're bored or you need something to watch while you're, you know, doing whatever around the house. So head over to themonsterchannel.com. All right. And last thing before we we have our Crypt of Classic for this week. And let me pull it up here. So for those of you who haven't uh, tuned in lately, we have little segments called Crypt of Classic. So. What I try to do is I, I present a movie for you to watch, you know, for the week, head over to the forum and you could discuss it a little bit, you know, give us your, your take on it if you liked it or not. And um, it's kind of like, you know, if you maybe you, you've watched everything in your DVD collection and you want some, you know, you're looking for something to, to watch this week. Well, don't worry, I got you covered because this one is awesome. So if you are like me and you like your horror mixed with Egyptian mythology, I've got the movie for you. The Ghoul is a 1933 horror film released by the 
I hope I say this right, Gaumont British Picture Corporation. And it stars Boris Karloff, Cedric Hardwick, Ernest Thizager. Oh, I know I, I butchered that up, but you guys get to, you guys could look it up online. And Dorothy Heisen. Thomas Hayes Hunter directed the film while Michael Belkin took up the production duties. It was released on August 7th, 1933 in the United Kingdom and November 25th, 1933 in the United States. The runtime is one hour, 17 minutes, and it had a budget of just under 40,000 pounds, which would have been about 2,592 U.S. dollars at that time. The Ghoul was considered a lost film until a nitrate release print was discovered in 1969 in the Czech National Archives in Prague. The print was a subtitled edited version that was in poor condition and contained numerous splices. Several years later, a print of the uncut British version was finally discovered. In the early 1980s, while crews were clearing one of the sound stages at Shepperton Studios in England, of old sets and other waste in the breeze, they found a locked door blocked by stacked lumber. Behind the door was a disused and long-forgotten film vault that had not been used since the mid-1930s. It was cleared, and among the many cans of old films was the original nitrate camera negative of this movie in perfect condition. Wow. The British Film Institute had new prints made, and the complete version aired on Channel 4 in the UK in 1984. You know, not not too long ago. So that it, if anyone's ever seen this movie, it's it's fantastic, and it, it's really kind of weird to consider that it's you know it, it was found what not too long ago, thirty five, thirty six years ago. So um, definitely check it out. You know, if if you haven't seen it in a while, this is a great one to revisit. You know, especially around Halloween time. So that's your movie for the week, The Ghoul, nineteen thirty three, a fantastic Boris Karloff movie. Well, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna check that out, man. And another, and another thing, thing we have to we have to bring here is a shout out. We have a shout out to our uh, Jim and and uh, Charlie. Jim, help me out. Just before I headed over to Florida, there was a slight. Uh, <laughs> they were fixing the steps of my house. And they flooded the basement in the section where I have my little office uh, because it's there. So he spent some good time. We spent about four hours taking out the rugs. And thanks to him, nothing was ruined. Again, another mishap. The other thing is, and this is really exciting things that are happening. Uh, Chuck Caputo, we, about a, a month or so ago, we laid out in YouTube a special that was live of his upcoming magic tricks. I finally was able to complete five complete of those kits and they can be purchased at the house of the unusual.com website. When you go to the shop directly on house of the unusual, I did not put them on eBay. I only put the gathering on eBay. I'm going to keep everything on the website itself. The other thing that's uh, also exciting that's on it's uh, on the pike is we're going to have beginning this Friday, we're going to have Chuck's corner every week. Chuck has got a call, a special YouTube video, and he's be, he'll be discussing magic and you know and and stuff. It's called Chuck's Corner. On Mondays every week, Mister None Other Than Our Joe himself will have a Crypt of Classic review of the movie of that week. So whatever movies he gives you in Crypt of Classics, he's going to review the movie. He's going to watch it himself. He's not just going to tell you to watch. He's going to have to sit down. He's going to watch it himself, and he'll give you his 5-10 minute review. And that's going to be every Monday. Beginning next Monday will be the first time. Friday, this Friday, will be Chuck's initial uh, Chuck's Corner. Every Wednesday, I will do a review about magic novelties, magic companies of the day, of the 1970s, from the Johnson Smith uh, to Honor House, American Circle, etc., I will do a review of the different novelties and I might do one unboxing once in a while as well. You know what? I, I had a, you, you know what I had? I just had a great picture of Chuck's corner. So Chuck, I have this picture of you sitting in a big leather chair next to a fireplace with a nice tweed jacket on smoking a pipe and sitting there talking about magic. <laughs> hey, that's, hey, that's kind of close. We actually have a big TV behind me with a, with a fake fire behind me and, and I'm sitting in a wooden chair next to a magic table. So it's, it's close. 
See, it's the closest you thing you can get, you know, closest <laughs> thing you can get. That's hey, but, hey, the one thing I did want to mention, guys, uh, you know what? I'm going to send the link to Eddie. Uh, there was a podcast that just came out that I participated in with Penguin Magic, and it's it's very interesting. It's about it's about Tony and Verdi from Holland, so that seems to be a pretty hot topic right now. So this thing just came out, uh, and it's about it's about a half hour long. And uh, Penguin is uh, is is probably one of the largest uh, magic companies, you know, you know, like in the whole world. So I'm going to send that link to Eddie's, and maybe you could post that if you guys want to listen to it. It's it's really cool. Yeah, absolutely. We'll we'll definitely we'll throw it up on the. Uh on the website, but Hey, uh, Michael, um, Eddie, when I was talking to him earlier, he said that you were just on some type of TV show or something oh, like that. Are you yeah. able to get into that? Did it, I don't know if it aired or not, or if you could yeah, talk yeah. about it. Sure. Yeah. I was very excited. Um, I, the reason I was excited is because I was able to represent someone who was very, very important to me in my career in many ways. Um, it, uh, actually was a show for the reels channel, R E E L Z channel. Uh, and it's, it's airing off and on all the time right now. Uh, I did it la early into the summer. I think I did, it was just before the summer time. Uh, and then it was released, um, about the summertime. Uh, it was autopsy. The last hours of, which is a very popular show on TV and the reels channel. It has Dr. Michael Hunter and what they do, they go back and they look at personalities that died and they try to explain exactly how they actually passed away. Um, and it's a very positive show. It sounds, it's, it's sort of, um, sounds negative, but it's a very positive show. And I was on autopsy the last hours of Roy Horn of Siegfried and Roy. Uh, and, uh, I had known Siegfried and Roy since I was very, very young. And in fact, I used to go and see their show in the, um, in the uh, lighting booth at the MGM when I was just 16 and 17. And, uh, get me in the lighting booth and I would be their guest with my friends and stuff. And they helped me a lot with my magic. And so I wanted to make sure it was going to be done in a very positive, classy way. And so I really wanted to be part of this. It's produced by ITV in England and um, started out just with a little interview with me and they got so excited. They wanted me to be a, a guest on the show. Uh, Diana Zimmerman, who's with a very famous magician and she's also a, uh, a writer as well. She was on there also because she did the definitive book on the life of Siegfried and Roy uh, and uh, a couple other people that were involved with them. Very honored to be part of it. Um, I was actually the opening first words on the show and I was the closing last words on the show as well. But I, in between, I talk a lot about Roy and about uh, my knowledge of Siegfried and Roy. A lot of the inside circle of Siegfried and Roy didn't want to pretend they understood the show. Um, and like I told them, I was not a friend of Siegfried and Roy, but I was a super fan and they helped me with my career. And so I was very happy to be able to represent them. And I think we did a great job. All the people that I've talked to felt that it was really a positive and put Roy in it, the right context, which is he was truly a wonderful person and a superhero if there ever was one. I mean, when he'd fly over the stage holding on ropes and the incredible things he did with the Tigers, it was just unbelievable. And so I was I saw Siegfried about a year and a half ago at Christmas uh, with my daughter and my wife, and we visited. And um, so that was the last time I saw him before he passed away. But yeah, it was a, it's a fantastic show. It's airing off and on on Reels Channel, uh, Autopsy, The Last Hours of Roy Horn. And it's the only one that I know of they've ever done on a magician. So it's part of magical history, part of Siegfried and Roy history. And I was honored to be just a small part of their, of their history. Oh, they were, you know what? They were fantastic. I, I saw them twice years ago and they were absolutely amazing. Their show really, really took magic to the next level. You mentioned Michael, uh, Diana Zimmerman. She was married to uh, Dick Zimmerman years ago. And I tell you what, she's one of the most amazing magic that I've ever seen. And you know what? If there's anybody out there that would like to watch her, look her up on YouTube. There's a few videos of her, Diana Zimmerman. She's absolutely amazing. Yeah, and her new books about uh, a fantasy land called Candide, uh, they're really uh, bestsellers, and she's doing great as an author um, these days. Good. But, but yeah, she is a great, she was a great magician. And a lot of, of course, her husband, Dick, was a great inventor of magic. Yes. Uh, he, worked for, he worked for Mattel originally, and he developed a lot of toys for Mattel, all of that. Plus, he was a, uh, a ragtime pianist. He did Scott Joplin albums and stuff. That's right. Uh, but um, but yeah, they, his inventions were incredible, and they actually filled in for a while when Siegfried Roy left the MGM. Uh, Diana and her husband 
uh, did their act in Siegfried and Roy spot for a brief time there uh, mm-hmm. after they had departed there. But uh, yeah, Dinah's a great person, but yeah, talking about Roy, I mean, he was just so amazing and the things they did uh, were things I always tell people when people say who were the greatest magicians of all time? Well, you know, there's a lot of ways to look at it, but for me, Siegfried and Roy were probably the greatest and I'll say why, because no one ever did it, could do what they did before them, and no mm-hmm. one will ever be able to duplicate what they did after them. You can you can buy uh, get people to build illusions like David Copperfield. You can perform all the things other magicians have done. Uh, you may not be as good as them. You may not be David Copperfield, obviously, but you can perform their show. But you can never perform what Siegfried no. Roy did. They were one of a kind in the history of our business. Absolutely. Now, now, Mike, I got a question. Maybe you could answer this. Is what made them get into doing shows with with lions and tigers? What, I mean, because that's definitely something unusual. But why why did that become their act? Was there something that they maybe had a lifelong obsession with them, or was it just something they thought, hey, this might be great, you know, to perform on stage? Do you, do you know anything about that? Oh, of course. Yeah, they started. In, what happened was they grew up in post war Germany, and both their fathers suffered from the war. Um, both their fathers were al- alcoholics. And then Roy's father left when he was fairly young and he had a stepfather who was very kind to him with his mother and brought him up. Uh, but Roy, Roy's trajectory was that he had a wolf dog that saved his life when he was little and he loved animals all his life. And then he became a, uh, he had a cheetah that he became friends with at the zoo, who I believe his uncle had connection with the zoo and then um, he took that cheetah on board the Bremen cruise ship with him. Now, let me tell you, he didn't let the ship know he had it. He put in a, this was their, his first illusion. He put him in a knapsack behind his back and just walked on the ship casually. And then he kept him in his cabin. Well, Siegfried's trajectory was that his father was always very uh, non-connected with him, very cold because he was an alcoholic. And the only time that his father ever paid attention was he did a little coin uh, demonstration for him and that opened his father's eyes to him and because of that he always wanted to be a magician and he found money in the street one day walking around germany to be able to buy this magic book he wanted because they were poor and he bought the magic book and then he became a magician he was on the bremen as a magician roy was on there as a uh, steward so Sieg, Sieg, roy had seen siegfried do his magic during the show and he said could you come down to my cabin he opened the door and said, can you put this into your show? And, and Siegfried was shocked. They did the show, but they were fired off the Bremen. But that night in that audience was the owner of a big cruise line who instantly hired them to come and be stars on his ship. And the rest is history. Boy, that, that's amazing. I know many people out there familiar with Siegfried and Roy or Siegfried and Roy, I'm sorry, in the you know, their their career and the 2003 incident with the with the Tiger that ultimately was a career-ending incident for Horn. Uh, can you speak a little bit about that for maybe some people that might not be too familiar with that incident? Sure. Well, first of all, um, when they started out, Roy was with the animals 24-7. He would, he would uh, drive them to and from the theater. He was always with them. Uh, they were like family to him. And he really had a psychic connection with them, literally. I mean, he, they just were, they were very, very connected. But as time went on, he, they got more and more animals and, he had to assign sub trainers to the animals. Um, and also after all those years and all those thousands of shows, he was, you know, getting a little weary and wanted to just enjoy his life. So I think what really happened that night um, to an extent was that, you know, he had not been in personal contact with, you know, the, t- the tiger that was in use that evening and as much as he had once been. And so I think that he just didn't read the tiger right that night and the tiger didn't read him right that night. And I think that's what ultimately happened. Was it a mistake or an error? No, I think he just, I think it was just, you know, one of those things that I think Roy was um, very tired that night. He had had his birthday party the night before and been drinking pretty heavy. And I'm sure he went on stage a lot of times, you know, after big parties, because it's Vegas. Um, and, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and so I'm sure that was not unusual. They try to sort of allude to that being part of the issue, but I, I'm sure it wasn't really. But, um, but I do think that um, it was just that, he that you know he didn't have as much personal contact with the animals so when something unusual happened you know it was just an incident but you think about the thousands of shows they did and the thousands of hundreds of animals that are in the shows and the perfection of all that you know it's amazing that it didn't happen many many years before that that's just a testament to how incredible he was as a trainer and how much the animals loved him 
Now, if I'm not mistaken, and this is definitely a credit to to his characters that after the the incident, which you know hurt him severely, he was very concerned about the uh, the welfare of the cat. Am I am I correct in saying that? You know, he wanted right. You know, he right. made he wanted them to make sure no harm came to the cat as he was being taken to the hospital, and he, so he was more concerned, it seemed, about the animal than what was going on with himself. Am I correct in saying that? If I remember right, yes, Monocor. He did not blame Monocor at all, which is the name of the tiger, the white tiger, and neither did Siegfried because they knew that it, uh, they, in fact, he wholeheartedly felt, even though some of these other tr- people that were around them at the time try to claim that what they were saying is not true, but I believe this. Um, I think uh, Roy slipped, uh, maybe had a stroke, who knows, um, and that Monocor was just simply trying to pick him up by his neck and take him to safety. Um, and they, that's what they claimed. They believed that wholeheartedly. Roy believed it till the day he died. And I believe it as well. And so, no, they would not allow anyone to hurt Monocor. They originally, initially, they wanted to, you know, put him to sleep. No, they wouldn't allow it. And Monocor lived out his life at the secret garden, uh, at the, um, at the uh, Mirage Hotel. Uh, and so, yeah, that's, that's what happened there. And that's just, that's a big thing when you consider that over within seconds, being a superstar on stage, flying on ropes, the next second you're going to be in a wheelchair pretty much more or less for the rest of your life. And that tiger could have been considered the cause of it. That showed his dedication to those animals and his love for those animals that he didn't want anything to happen to Monocor. Yeah, absolutely. You know, just reading a little bit about that, it, you know, and, you know, if you know how, you know, tigers, you know, the, the cat species, and all, how they carry, you know, their injured or their loved ones is, is by the neck. You right. know, they, they'll grab them by the neck and they'll drag them to where they think, you know, there's there's going to be safety. So that definitely makes, you know, sense that that tiger would look at him as, you know, a, a friend. And that that's, you know, that's how he would be thinking, OK, I'm going to grab him by the neck how I would, you know, if it was a my small, you know, little kitten or whatever. And that's how he would drag it. So I could definitely, you, you know, see that happening, you know, and that being the case in it. Oh, yeah. And when you consider how. I mean, that that part of the show was really um, one of the least uh, intensive parts he had to work with Monocor or the animals, because other times just in, I'll say it this way, not to give away any secrets. But if you had to have a um, let's say you had a, um, a, a, a four a four door sedan and you have a trunk and you had to take a 650 pound tiger and put him in that trunk. Then you squeezed him behind him, spooning this tiger in that trunk and closed the lid behind you right on top of your face and their face and be in there for an amount of time. Then all of a sudden, you had to be instantly open the trunk, get on top of the trunk and appear there. I mean, that's intense. That's intense. Oh, yeah. You know, that's intense. Now, that's not giving away any secrets, but it's giving you a concept because you're squished in this trunk with a 650 pound wild tiger, essentially, and you're in total tune with each other to be able to do that and then to be able to get out and do it on command you know how cats are they don't want to do anything you want them to do right a, a regular house cat so think about this 650 pound white tiger or other animals cheetahs and lep, lep jags and all the things they worked with and to be able to do that that's amazing right oh absolutely now chuck you're you know i'm sure you followed siegfried and roy and you know different magicians well take on the uh that that whole incident on on how it it went down do you have any you know any different information or you kind of agree upon you know the the main story with it yeah yeah i pretty much agree with it you know what like you know you know just like michael said they were very dedicated to the animals you know and i don't i don't really know the full story but i mean you know it's it's a shame that happened you know i mean he was a they were fantastic uh, magicians like i said and i saw them a couple times i was fortunate enough to see their show and uh Man, it was just unbelievable. You know what? Just like Michael said, it, it, you know, I don't think anybody could duplicate that. You know, and then, uh, and then a few times that they did appear on TV. I mean, there was no camera tricks or anything. I mean, there are, you know, uh, you know, uh, the sad fact is that you know, uh, quite a few of the top guys around they 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 do use a lot of editing, a lot of a lot of camera tricks and so forth. You know, but uh, uh, but their shows were were the real fantastic. I think that Siegfried uh, just passed away michael if i'm not mistaken within the last year or so yes is that correct? yes yes and did he have yeah. pancre- did he have pancreatic cancer was that that's what correct okay. yeah yeah and you know um it doesn't it doesn't surprise me because uh i'm, I'm sure this would not will not surprise anyone or anyone that's not familiar with them uh they were m- lovers at one time they eventually became 
more than lovers because they were deeper than brothers, deeper than they had survived, you know, both their fathers, the way it was with their life upbringing, they had survived it together. So they were far more than just gay lovers or, or, or brothers. They were far deeper than most people will ever achieve in a relationship. And so it doesn't surprise me that if Siegfried had that weakness that after Roy passed away, it wouldn't be long till Siegfried was gone. You know, Michael, I was just going to, I was just, that was something I was actually going to bring up because they, they passed away so close you know, to each other. And you always hear, you know, stories. I, I can't remember what they exactly call it. Like, you know, died of a broken heart almost. Right. And that's kind of seems like what happened to them. Cause it was less than a year apart. Am I, I believe it was maybe yes. what nine, 10 months, something like that. that yeah. they passed, you know, so th- that's definitely, you know, you could see that. I, I mean, you're with somebody that long and you know, you're that close to them and you make that type of a connection that, you know, that, that could have definitely, you know, you know, been the case, even though there's some other underlying, you know, conditions, you know, you hear people, especially, you know, pancreatic cancer or whatnot, fighting it off for years, but it kind of seems like, Hey, he was like, you know, I'm, you know, I, I got to be with, you know, my partner again, you yeah, know, and I, a little I think, too long. And I think what's kind of sad about it too, is uh, there was, there's a biography film in the works about their lives. And I wish it had come to pass a little sooner. Sigrid was pretty excited about it. And last time I talked with him, and if it had, I think it would have maybe pulled him along a little bit longer, you know, because he would have had that to be, you know, part of and looking forward to. And, um, you know, unfortunately, people have little respect for people in this world. And I was thinking about um, Chuck, you probably know this movie. I'm trying to think of the name of it. Um, oh, it's the one with it's the comedy movie where they they start out like Siegfried and Roy with Steve Buscemi. And I can't remember. And oh, I know what you mean. I know. I can't think of the name, but I know what you're talking about. But they sort of made fun of Siegfried and Roy right. in a roundabout way in that movie. David Copperfield was actually in the film. Right. And then and then in the end, they become more like David Copperfield. And they had a character that was like Chris Angel in it, too, as well, played by, um, oh, you know, uh, what's his name from The Mask and all those movies. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, so they never, you know, at the end, people were not respecting what they had achieved. You have to understand they were the biggest thing ever in the history of Vegas at that time. I mean, they they outdrew they had they outdrew standard only audiences for decades. Oh, they did. They, they did. set records that nobody had ever set in Vegas. And you know, now of course, people like Penn and Teller and stuff claim, oh, we're the duo act that did more show, did this and that. It's like, no, no, boys, you you your audience is about one fifth of what Siegfried and Roy's were every night. Yeah. I think they I think they started playing Vegas, Michael, if I'm not mistaken, Siegfried and Roy, like 1977, 78, somewhere in that area. Yeah, yeah. They started the Tropicana. Um and then they left Vegas because well when they went to Vegas, um the producers or the the yeah the, the owner of the casino or the producer said uh you're not gonna last long here because magic it doesn't it's gonna it fails in Vegas. It's mm-hmm. no good. And so, because that time, believe it or not, magicians were like the scum of Vegas. They were yeah, like considering, right. really, you know, yeah, right. yeah. exactly. Oh, right. Wow. Yep. You know, kind of like when I think of Vegas now, like more than I mean, you know, people think of Vegas and the you know the gambling and the drinking, the partying. But you know, usually when I think of Vegas, first thing that pops in my mind is magic shows. Magic, yeah. It Which is, is funny because that's like... that's all because of Siegfried and Roy. Because yeah. prior to that. They were just a small little act that were considered, you know, the low rung. Um, and so this guy told me that you're never going to make it. You might as well just you're going to be here a week or so. So then they, eventually they did leave. They did come back. They went to Puerto Rico. They came back. Then they opened at the uh, M- the MGM and bam, they had their 12 minutes there. They and they just were unbelievable. That that 12 minute act was unbelievable. And then they went from there to the stardust when they have their 20 minute spot, which blew, blew them up further. Then they went to the frontier for their full evening show. And then finally the big one at the Mirage, which broke all kinds of attendance records. And the technology in that show had never been seen before. Even Michael Jackson sang a song for their show that was in the show. Now, let, let me ask you guys, let me ask you guys this question. And, and Eddie, I'm sure you, you would probably know this too. Why, why was magic so shunned at that time? Yeah, uh, actually, you know what? I was going to ask a similar question because I thought David Copperfield uh, started in Vegas. And no, no, he didn't. He didn't. Okay. Now, David Copperfield started in Chicago in a musical, and then he worked his way around, and finally he got his TV specials, and then ultimately he ended up going around the world. He toured so much that he decided to live in Vegas and have shows there. He would visit there occasionally, but no, he did not start in Vegas. He was starting in Chicago in in a musical called The Magic Man, actually. 
So what's the reason that they were so sh- that magic was so shunned in Vegas at that time? Because I mean, well, it's been around for forever. So why? No, when you say time, though, what year? Early seventies. 60s to early 70s uh, yeah even the 50s um uh some acts did play there periodically but magic was considered something that was more like for kids it wasn't really considered for the casinos with topless shows things like that uh that was mature for adult entertainment there were a few people that broke that mold that did play there on occasion um you know marvin roy who was mr electric uh, right. i think channing pollock might have played there on occasion but very rarely did magicians uh get into that a review show with the topless dancers that were sophisticated considered adult entertainment. Um, And so, because magic was sort of dying at one point and then it started to resurge with Doug Henning and Siegfried and Roy and all of that era. Uh, And then Siegfried and Roy was the one, were the ones that Vegas that made Vegas into what they made it into. And they, they did attendance records to beat out everybody, including Elvis, everybody, they beat their attendance records were unmatched during their run. Oh yeah, and and that was for over what twenty five years. It was decades. It was amazing. Yes, yes. So so would it be safe to say that they they pretty much brought magic to Vegas and made it what it is? Then absolutely. Yeah. Not only just just the not only just the magic, but Vegas as a whole. I mean, Mm -hmm. they were the change. What happened was they were the game changer from the Sinatras, the Elvises, and all that into a production show being the big thing in Vegas. And what was the bridge to what is now Cirque du Soleil and that type of thing? Yeah. What about Doug Henning? Doug Henning. When Doug Henning wasn't he in New York all the time, though? You can speak on that in a minute, Chuck. I don't want to do all the talking. No, 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 no I'm that's... saying it's Eddie. I'm saying, uh, can you guys hear me? Yeah, yeah. Okay, no, I was saying, what exactly happened with Doug Henning? Because I remember Doug Henning's in the Magic Show in New York for years since oh, I was yeah. a very young kid. Yeah, he was on Broadway, right? If I'm not mistaken. He That's correct. So he, he was never on Vegas, was he? Uh, he did visit Vegas eventually, but that was after he did his made his fame doing TV specials. He went right. from the magic show to doing the TV specials on NBC. Right. Uh, I was lucky enough to go to the filming of three of those. And um, my brother at the time had a series on NBC, so he got me into the filming of Doug Henning specials. Um, and those were shot, as Chuck would acknowledge, they were all live on yeah, tape. Well, that's right. Um, yeah, and I will tell you, Chuck, in case you didn't know this, they actually shot the rehearsal as well. So if something happened during the live, they, right. could, they ran it simultaneous so they right. could switch it over instantly and then switch back. Yeah. Uh, um, but Doug revolutionized magic both in dress, style, and yes, he did. everything. You know, prior- the thing that was cool about Doug Henning, Michael, was he made magic cool. I mean, he had a yes. style, he had, he had a, like a wonderment. Uh, style about him it was like wow i mean you know yes you know what he didn't he didn't uh uh, you know like i should say he didn't talk condescending he he was like a he was almost like a child he was almost he had a about him and he was really cool i mean i i really respected him a lot and then then like you said magic goes into a law i mean it's popular for a few years then it dies out then it comes back it seems like world's greatest magic for the regular lay audiences uh Back about what fifteen years ago or so, that really made it popular again. Yes, and it's it's like weird. I mean, it'll it'll go it'll get real popular. It'll go into a law, you know, like maybe a TV show. You know what? Strangely enough, even the Mass Magician kind of made it popular again for the wrong reasons, but he did make it he did make it popular again. For yeah, and you know the thing about it, Chuck, is that that there, what's interesting about Magic compared to a variety of uh, singers, uh, other acts, um, bands. There can you seems to be there can. Uh, there can only be one magician that's famous in a decade a, that's right. truly one, famous. You're right, one at a time. I'm going to bring up a name to you, Michael, which I know you heard of, and but the regular, uh, but, but the regular people out in society really haven't heard of him. But us as uh, us as performing magicians, we like held him as a god, and he really, really was one of the best around. Del Rey. Oh yeah. Yeah, you know, you know what? I was actually friends with him, and, and wow, and, yeah, and he's actually, you know, from Pittsburgh. I, he was literally about fifteen minutes from my house in nineteen eighty-seven or so. I actually performed on the same uh, show as him. Uh, wow, yeah, the same billing, and that's how I seen him perform, and that's what got me into like the electronic magic. Uh, but he was he was way ahead of his time with micro. Uh, technology as oh yeah as, uh, he, you know as far as the, uh, the the electronics and he was equally as devastating with his sleight of hand you know what if there's anybody out somebody who is unbelievable 
go on YouTube and search Magician Del Rey. There are videos of him, and he was just a down-to-earth, a very nice man. And you know what? Uh, he didn't look the part. You know what? He looked like a almost like a mobster type of a look, and his voice <laughs> and his voice was pure gravel, right? The way he talked, it was yeah, yeah. It was pure gravel, but he was unbelievable. He's probably the best magician all around that you know that I've ever known. But what's weird, the general public does not know about him. Am I correct? No, and you know what? That's true, Chuck, with a lot of good magicians. You know, I've never tailored my career to be popular with magicians. In fact, I just wrote a, a little thing, a post about that, because people always say, oh, you know, what? A, I don't play to magicians. Magicians don't pay my income. Right, I play exactly. to the public. Exactly. And so I'm not well-known at the Magic Castle. I'm a member. I performed there on uh, decades ago. But I'm not well-known amongst the magic circles because – I don't perform for magicians. I perform for the public. Right. And that's really how you make a living in magic is by performing for the public, not magicians. And so uh, there are a lot of magicians like Del Rey that are not uh, known by the public as much as magicians because they, they're revered because they're doing things that magicians know are pretty much impossible or extremely difficult. Absolutely. I tell you, when I saw him do his act, I could not believe what I was seeing, Michael. I mean, it was just, yeah, it was just, it was just unbelievable. It was unbelievable. You know, I, got, yeah. I, I got a question for you now for all three of you guys, because you guys are all been involved in magic in, in, in some form or another and have have um, dealt with or known, you know, various magicians of various degrees. Is there a lot of gatekeeping in the in the magic community? What Specify what you mean. What do you mean? You know, not wanting to, you know, not wanting to share information or share tricks or work together or anything like that, you know, or someone kind of just, you know, keeps stuff to themselves and doesn't really form like kind of like a community. Well, you know, but I think it could be true to a point, you know what, but it, you know what, what I always recommend, you know, the, uh, to somebody who is getting into magic or if you are into it, join your local IBMs, SAMs, you know, join your local rings, talk to the older people, especially, like I said, you know, I was friends with Del Rey out here in Pittsburgh. Tony Polito just passed away. He was a good friend of mine. Harry Allbacker, he, he did a lot of the carnivals. He traveled like Michael does. He did a lot of the, uh, you, you know, the big carnivals uh, all, all across the United States. So, you know what, get involved, talk to people, but yeah, I think they are a little bit reluctant. I think there's a little bit of an attitude once in a while. It's not good to be like that, but, I think there is a little well, bit. Uh, yeah, but Chuck, you, you got to have some type of quietness because in order for a magician to go out there, like say, for example, Michael Mesmer and do his thing, he can't really, you know, be out in the public or telling other magicians that right. they, they won't stand out. But you know one thing that I, it's kind of, when you said about magicians uh, being where magicians are not well known, uh, about a week ago, two weeks ago, we had on our show, we had uh, the NBA... Uh, um, Mason Plumley, and we had from the New Jersey Devils, we had um, uh, Mac right. uh, Underwood, correct? Uh, Blackwood, yeah. I'm sorry, Mac Mackenzie Blackwood. Right. From and, and one of the things is that Mason mentioned a magician friend of his that you know does some shows in New York and places, and goes by the name of Footy, F O D D Y, I think it is Footy. Hmm. And when I looked him up and stuff, I saw he had appeared in uh, the Night Show in the uh, in a couple of shows on TV, and he was really good. Of course, he did mentalism at the time, but I think he does all. But the point is, there's a lot of great magicians out there that a lot of people don't even know about Absolutely. that are super famous. Absolutely, yeah. Most there's a lot of good working performers in general, whether it's magicians, uh, musicians, whatever, that have made a great living, been able to have two cars in the driveway and a house and pay their taxes, doing just their entertainment. But you've never heard their names, and you probably never will. Yeah, that's true. Now, now, why do you now? Why do you think that is that some of these these big magicians that they just don't, you know, they're not well known as some? Is it because they, you know, don't perform in Vegas or on some bigger venues or the way that you know the the business is? Well, today especially we have the show America's Got Talent. America's Got Talent. Uh, people see people on there, but you know the thing about a show like that is to get that. You have to be doing something in 90 seconds and it's under really strict, you know, rule, you know, rules. And for me, principally, people always say, are you going to go on AGT? We'd I bet you do great because we love your show, but I won't because I can't do something and set it up properly and perform it properly in 90 seconds. 
Um, and the people that do do that, remember their premise used to be that if you want it, you'd be the, a Vegas headliner with your own show. Right. Well, well, you know, Terry Fader, the ventriloquist, did very well with that because he had been working fairs with me for years. And so he had perfected his craft and he was ready. But most of those acts you see on there, they can do a fantastic. I mean, like they have those singing groups, for instance, with uh, choirs. That's great. Are you going to pay $250 a ticket to see them sing for two hours? I don't think so. So the problem is that you don't have the Johnny Carson that we used to have where you could go on and do an act and the world would be introduced to you. You have this 90 second thing or, you know, Jimmy Fallon, what that's about is getting people on there that are buying ads for the program. And so they get to do a spot, but discovering new talent, new talent being discovered, is on AGT and that's really not even new talent because people that design things just for that show. So there's very few venues where you can grab that attention nationally and beyond that, you know, get your act well, popular and like that. Michael, what do you have to say about a magician that uh, Mason mentioned, or I think it was Mackenzie. Do you guys remember uh, that we said that uh, I think he's Chinese uh, Chuck, you know what you're talking about that he was on the television. He was phenomenal. Oh, you mean um, uh, Shin Shin Lim? Yeah, Shin Lim. What do you think of him, Mike? Mas- Michael? Um, I think he's fabulous. Um, on the other hand, I don't care for. I can. I can. Can't watch another card trick in my life. So, <laughs> um, I, I just can't stand card magic. I, I think it's um, the most boring thing on every corner of the street. Uh, he, however, took it to a new level and really made it fabulous. Yes, but again, but again, you're talking about a guy that. Can I sit and watch him for an hour and a half doing these things? Personally, no. Uh, I know people have seen the show and they are just thrilled with it. So everybody has their own taste. Um, For me, uh, it's just not my thing. Uh, My thing is like David Blaine. I love David Blaine, who is just, he does amazing physical challenges. And I just, he's the closest thing we have to Houdini today is David Blaine. And I really, really get intrigued. I'm really blown away by what he does. You know, you know. Speaking of, of that, and you know the the physical challenges, it's you know it, it's really amazing. And I, you know, years ago I looked into a little bit on how he, you know, prepares for you know his tricks and everything. And mm-hmm. it is, you know, and, and when I was in the military, they always said, you know, however far you think that you could push your body, you're only at about twenty twenty five percent. There's so much potential that we have. And then you look at someone like David Blaine and what he does to prepare for a trick. And it just goes to show you that we can push our bodies and our minds farther than we we could ever, ever imagine. Oh, and it's sad that a lot of the, a lot of people out there, majority of people don't realize this and, and don't do that. But there are people out there that are pushing themselves and they see that limit and they say, they look at that limit and they say, you know what? I'm still only 20% of what I could do. And they just push it farther and farther. And people like me, you know, look at that and go, my God, this guy's like, he's crazy. How could he do that? This must be magic. But it's it's actually our potential. It's what we can do. Well, and and what what was uh, Eddie was talking about, about giving out secrets. Well, there is no secret to David Blaine. It's what it is. Hard work. It's hard work. Um, yes, he does some car demonstrations, street stuff. But Really what he's famous for is the physical demonstrations. And it's just hard work. It's what it is. Like you watch him train. You see how he's preparing for it. Um, you know, in my case, in my show, because I break an arrow with my neck and I put my hand in a wolf trap and I do a bullet catch, I use self-hypnosis so I don't find feel the impact when these things happen. So um, that's the fascinating part of magic that I like now. Now, uh, Chuck, I will tell you, I'm a Chavez graduate. So I literally toured the world doing sleight of hand and 25 countries touring in the uh, 80s and 90s. But I've kind of moved on into the David Blaine zone now and do this stuff because I find it much more challenging and fascinating to me. But That's yeah, there, there's no secret to it. It's it's mind over matter is the That's secret. Right. Hey, uh, hey uh, Michael, there's a friend of mine. He he took he took the Mike Dayton course of, of uh, Chi. And that, ah. had to be, that had to be about 30 years ago. You know, Mike Dayton was very you know very famous for mind over matter yes. he, he he jumped off the golden gate bridge at one time didn't get hurt and everything and uh yeah so this guy i know he had his whole course this is years ago and uh, he wow. studied it yeah and uh you know what he did some ama- he accomplished some amazing things you know we were you know me and this guy we were very much into martial arts i took chinese me kempo. too yeah I, I took chinese kempo when i was about 15 through 18 i was up to a uh, to, to a brown belt i was almost a black belt but then I, then i ended up getting out of it wow but, uh, 
Yeah, you know what? I've always been fascinated, you know, and I'd like to get back into martial arts someday. That was really great. I enjoyed it a lot. I really did. Well, you know, the arrow break that I do, Chuck, comes from demonstrations of martial arts. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and in fact, I did a movie with Chuck Norris called The Octagon because oh, I was yeah. in the martial arts. Oh, I arts. love that movie. <laughs> that I was a ninja in that movie, and Chuck, uh, Chuck's brother Aaron taught us weaponry and stuff for the film. But um, yeah, I love martial arts, Chuck. That's interesting that you and I have that kind of similar background. Yeah, I tell you what, I was always enamored by Bruce Lee. Man, he died. Oh, yeah. he, he died way too young. Oh my goodness, that guy was unbelievable. He studied. Uh, well, he came up with his own method. Uh, that you know, Jeet Kune Do, and uh, he yes. just combined everything with it. I mean, like no one, no one even seen his style. It was just, it was just a, it was Never, a combination. Yeah. I mean, the guy was unbelievable. I, I think yeah, his only- style was a style without style. It was, a, it was whatever worked for that situation. Yeah, exactly. You would pull from other styles. Oh man, he was something else, and he was in his what early thirties, I think, when he died. Yeah, yeah, yeah he, he, he's another one. He's another one that you know he pushed his mind to oh. his mind and his body to oh, the yeah. limits, and then I, kept on going. It, you're not kidding. Amazing. You're not yeah, kidding. But it, he was. I, they were saying that when he did Enter the Dragon, he really pushed it to the limit there, and that could have been also part of his reason for dying so young. You know. But, yeah, there's actually an autopsy last hours of of Bruce Lee. If you ever watch Reels Channel, uh, it's it will give you a lot of insight into what Ooh, happened. There. I like to I like yeah. to check it. Hey, how about his one inch punch, Michael? Wasn't that unbelievable? Oh my gosh, that was unbelievable. Yes, unbelievable, unbelievable. The force he could get within one inch space to knock someone to the other side of the room. Yeah. Incredible. He's unreal. My, Michael, I have a quick question now. Also, when we've been talking about all this. Penn and Teller now, they started a show, of course, which is called uh, Can You Fake Penn and Teller? Is that the name of the show? Or... No, Fool full no, Us. Fool Us. What do you think that they started that? Do you think that's because they're kind of like at the end of the rope in their career, maybe, and they're just trying to get popular again? What do you no, think no, it? no. I, I think that they're, they're very popular with TV audiences. And I got to add, I'm so pleased they did start that because I think it's, it's we're speaking about showcasing, although you know, you don't get the, it's not like being on Johnny Carson in the seventies, but they give time for magicians to actually present what they do and they have a respect for it. And um, I I was not Penn and Teller fans early on, but I've become more of a fan of theirs because how kind they are to all the magicians they brought on that that program. So I have to give them a a thumbs up and and a thank you from the magic community for them to showcase so many magicians in such a positive light on that program. I one thing I can say about the program that I find amazing is uh, with Penn and Teller, like the the, the I think that's uh, Teller's the younger guy. I mean, the smaller guy that always doesn't talk. Yes, yes, he's he's actually the real magician of the team. Yeah, uh, Penn Penn was originally a juggler and he's a comedian, so Penn's really the intensive magic part of the team. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's so funny though. He's such a great in what he does because even in acting without talking, he can portray all his. Oh, yes, it's amazing. He's like uh, he reminds me of of the famous, world famous actor Charles Chaplin. Yeah, he yes. To, to you know, on silent film. Yeah, I always like people that could you know convey you know convey something without having to say words, and that's why I'm always a huge fan of you know silent films. Is that you you have all these characters without saying a word, and you know what they're feeling, you know what they're you know what they're saying and it's just amazing that they could convey those emotions just by using their body and i always you know too you know at looking at comic books there was a a real famous uh gi joe comic um in the 80s it was i believe issue number 21 it was called the silent issue and they did the whole comic book without any words it was just it was just photo you know just the, the artwork and it was amazing at the emotions that they could convey wow. to the the reader without saying a word just through the artwork. So when well, someone could do that, I, I always think that's amazing. I, well, Joe, you I know, think, when I was listening, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I think, the, in my opinion, the best person that ever did that was Sergio Aragonis from uh, Mad Magazine, mm-hmm. uh, where he did Gru and all that. And he would right. always have, anytime you open a Mad Magazine inside the, the ones that had no wording, it's usually Sergio Aragonis. Mm-hmm. Fabulous artist, fabulous. Absolutely. And, you know, Joe, Joe, I was going to say to you, based on the uh, 
the uh, talk you were talking about your movie for the week and how they rediscovered it. I'm praying someday somewhere they find London after midnight. Oh, I know Cheney. that's. I think that's yeah. on everybody's you know top list of lost movies to find. Yeah. I, I was thinking even of that though, when you said that earlier. Yeah, even though you know you read a lot of you know you know maybe like old articles about it or old reviews and it doesn't get much praise. A lot of people say it's a bad movie, but they do. It's still one of those movies that us horror fans, and I think even just movie fans in general, just want to see this movie. And, and I'm, I am very, very 100% convinced that somewhere out there, yes, there's some somewhere. little old lady in her house, <laughs> yes. in her attic. She is sitting on yeah. a box with this film in it. I, I am fully well, convinced of it. And long somewhere. <laughs> oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say, Mike, a lot of people don't realize that when you said that they say it's a bad film, that's because they did a film of it using still photos. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's yeah. really no actual film of it. That's right. So because of that, a lot of people look at it and go, oh, that's a horrible film. But the actual film has been lost since who knows when. Yeah, but a lot of a lot of the reviews that came in when it was, you know, it was actually out in theaters and all that as a silent film, they they weren't they weren't good. I I don't think there's really too many that give it you know, a positive review. Am well, I right? Even, even, Forrest, even Forrest Ackerman, who was a big fan of Lon Chaney senior. Um, he, he was talking about how uh, it was kind of strange how Lon would walk and it's sort of like a Groucho kind of, you know, cadence with his walking and bending over. And it was just kind of odd. But the thing is Lon Chaney, in my opinion, was probably the greatest film actor of all time. Oh, he was and, absolutely. And absolutely. Uh, I mean, he could, he could make you feel. I mean, I love West of Zanzibar. Have you ever seen that, Chuck? Oh yeah, absolutely. About the magician and about yep. his daughter and how horrific on, don't, it don't, is. Don't don't give me too many spoilers because I just bought the video a couple of weeks ago. I found it on DVD and uh, I haven't watched it yet. So it came excellent. in a Lon Chaney collection with like seven movies, and that that's one of them that I'm. I, I love that film. In it's, fact, it's in, my my scary, in my Scary Monsters article that I did recently, um, a couple of issues ago, when I was doing of Monsters and Magic, in, this, in the first part, I was talking, analyzed that whole film from a magician standpoint. So, but, uh, but he is just phenomenal in that film, just phenomenal. Yes, he is. And, uh, and uh, that's a bit of acting that just, it's <laughs> unmatched. So when we talk about pantomime, Lon Chaney, I mean, it's amazing what he could do without speaking one word in a whole film. It really is. It really. Hey, I took Eddie's advice. Eddie, I watched that movie you talked about in the last podcast, or maybe the, the one before, The Old Dark House. That was cool, man. Oh, watched- that's oh, a good one. Did you like that, Chuck? That That's a great movie, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. In the beginning, that car and, and a big mudslide, and it just missed it. I mean, that was unbelievable. And, uh, and the house and everything it was you know yeah. that movie had a certain charm about it it was neat i like oh that 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 i tell you that that is the i'll say it over and over again that is <laughs> the perfect movie to watch at night yeah when it is raining outside and <laughs> turn off all the lights and watch that movie because it just adds to it and i know we talked about it before and what that guy knew the the girl for what one night and then asked her to marry him and right, they were right. <laughs> yeah that was, that was that was something man that was pretty cool i liked it yeah, that 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 is a fantastic movie, and that was, that was recently found as well too. But um, it, I tell you, what, anything with Boris Karloff is great, and the oh, movie yeah. that Ghoul is, is is it. I I always like the the old black and white movies that have like the Egyptian theme to it. So, you know, this one was is definitely uh, you know, falls in that line. But oh, hey, we are we're down to uh, about two minutes here, so we're gonna start wrapping things up, and um. Just want to give a, a quick thank you to all of our listeners out there. You know, we're you know every week we're we're at about six thousand listeners plus a week now, and we're we're continuing to grow. And I just want to thank everyone out there that's listening, that's subscribed to us, that's supporting us. You know, a huge thank you from from all of us because without you guys, you know, we wouldn't be able to do this. And you know, we would just be on here talking without anybody <laughs> listening. So yeah, really, definitely thank you to everyone out there and. uh a huge thank you to, to Michael and Chuck for, for coming on and, you know, giving us some, some great in, input and in, in, uh, insight to the, the world of magic and Siegfried and Roy and, you know, definitely some awesome information and, there. So thank you guys, you know, for joining us tonight. No problem. And guys, one thing I want to say real quick, don't forget to watch the Buster Keaton, which is another great, the haunted house. Oh yeah. Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> and also one last on one last note, 
everybody out there, when you get a chance, and I know everybody's busy and all that, but you know, you get a little chance, head over to houseoftheunusual.com. Join our free forum. We have a lot of good stuff going on there. People are showcasing their collections, talking about movies, talking about magic, talking about mail order novelties. So it's just a great time. And if you're looking to be a guest on the show, you don't have to be an expert in anything, but you just, you know, if you enjoy talking about the stuff that we talk about, you know, drop us a line on there and we'll get you on the show and, you know, we'll have some great conversations. So for all of us here at House of the Unusual, Thank you guys for joining us and good night, everyone. Okay. Good night, everybody. Good night. Bye bye.